Welcome to the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor podcast, LaughBox. We have multiple hosts and multiple guests and multiple ways to think out of the box using humor. LaughBox is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. Join us for episode 116 with Jim Bob Williams, KDB, and special guest Dave Shelton, author, comedian, musician, and more. Yay! Welcome to LaughBox, the official podcast of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. I'm Jim Bob Williams. And I'm KDB. And today our special guest is author, cartoonist, and all-around funny guy, Dave Shelton. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Uh, okay, that's enough. Okay. <laughs> All right. This podcast came about because of the West Virginia Book Festival. That's right. Yes, absolutely. Another funny place to experience. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so Katie, you were uh, on the floor of the magnificent Charleston Coliseum and Civic Center. I was. Okay, and you came across Dave. Tell, tell us about that meeting. Well, it was just very interesting. I was going about giving little joyful moments to authors and having chats about joy. And I ran across his table and he had th- there were three authors actually st- sitting there. And as I com- talked and asked questions to each of them, Dave had this energy. And I, I was drawn Ooh. to ask him more questions. And his book, by the way, Jim Bob, is about what, Dave? It is about recycling and cleaning up and waste management. <laughs> no, oh, I had man- to throw it in because I know that's what you do. Oh, you're a man after my own heart. I am a retired environmental engineer. I spent uh, 35 years in sewage, sometimes literally. Oh, oh my gosh. Time. I have dealt so much with it in LA and New Jersey and growing up around crap. <laughs> I have a character named Bitchy the Clown. He lives in a trash can. You should appreciate that. And in fact, he's got a new cologne called Trash. <laughs> but it smells really good. And the, the slogan is, when anyone asks, tell them you're covered in trash. It's perfect for him. Oh, oh that's amazing. This was meant to be. This yes. was wonderful. Tell us a little bit you know, about yourself and about uh, how you got to be where you are today. I was born a poor child in <laughs> northern New Jersey. I was raised in a closet, and my meals were out of magazines, literally. I had to pull the pages out of the magazines and eat them. Oh. But I love the ones with cake and cookies. Now, I grew, <laughs> I grew up in New Jersey, and hey, everybody from New Jersey that's listening to this thing, oh. And then uh, it always wanted to, ever since I was little, I just fell in love with the arts, whether it was writing or cartooning or music, anything that was visually and productively creative. I think I was just born wired that way. And then also with humor, because when I was born, my father slapped me first instead of the doctor. So that, <laughs> that set the stage for the rest of my life. And so I did everything to absorb it. And I have a book out, which is a collection. You mentioned National Lampoon. is a collection of my work from National Lampoon, and it's called Brain Explosion. Because people cannot believe the amount of work that just 
permeates out of my brain. I never turn off. It, it makes it hard to go to sleep sometimes, but um, I love it. It's just everyone's wired differently, and that's how I'm wired. So I've never gotten writer's block. But then it's also a double-edged sword because it, it's like creative vomit, and I'm always having to clean up after myself. Um, but... <laughs> The creative vomit. I, I think we need it. to get a copyright for that term. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I know that would make a great t-shirt, right? Yes. Um, good name for a band, too. T-shirt yeah. designs, too. <laughs> so then as I developed in school, drawing, writing in the notebooks, things like that, I went to film school at the University of Florida. And then I started working at MTV, Nickelodeon, and... Everything has always been about a path, a transition. If you set goals for yourself and you have the faith in that, whether you believe in God, if it's the faith that he gives you, God gives you every opportunity. It's what you do with it that matters. And so I just embraced it and I lived through it, the good, the bad, the ugly. And yes, I've dated some ugly women, but yeah, so there, there is all of that. Um, I also love doing voiceovers because when I was younger, we would do speech classes and I hate and they'd record it and I hated my normal voice. It's, oh my gosh, I got to change this. So I just kept watching cartoons and movies and trying to copy all the famous actors and the famous cartoon characters. And pretty soon I was able to do it well enough where I actually got jobs doing voice recordings and it parlayed into a whole bunch of different things. So between that, then I started working at MTV and Nickelodeon when they first started. I uh, went back to New Jersey and then started working in the city. And that's where all of that happened. Then I met Tim Allen and Robert Wall and I started working with them on their HBO specials. I started writing and cartooning for Tiger Beat Magazine. Oh my God, said Tiger Beat. I remember <laughs> that one. I love Tiger Beat. It was all about Ralph Nacho. <laughs> <laughs> I so remember. <laughs> I was in the eighties, so for sure. Uh-huh. And my year, my my year, I got to interview new kids on the block, and uh-huh. Michael Jackson when he turned white. I got to cover the Grammys, which is now called the Crappies, as I call them, <laughs> because music has just gotten so bad. And and then I moved to LA, and also about the National Lampoon thing is when I was in college, I pledged the fraternity and Animal House came out and I was already reading the magazines back then. Mm-hmm. I'm older, by the way, in case you weren't sure how old I am. <laughs> and I said, my bucket list dream job, more than going into space, more than going to bed with Linda Carter, was to write and work for National Lampoon. And then when I moved to LA, I got the opportunity to do that. And I grabbed at it, and I was with them for, like, almost nine years. Oh, man. I have a question, though. Now, if you're writing for Lampoon and you're writing for Tiger Beat, did you ever have a moment where you were, did I send that cartoon to the right editor? They were different eras. Lampoon was the 90s. Tiger Beat and Cindy Lauper and all of them were the 80s. And speaking of Cindy Lauper, because I also... As a rock journalist, you had to take your own photos, and I loved photography, so I got to cover all of the bands, and I did center spreads. On, I don't mean Playboy center spreads. These were Tiger Beat center spreads. <laughs> the, 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 the other ones came later at Lampoon. 
but I got to interview and work with Debbie Gibson and Oh and Dora and Tiffany and all of them. It was such an amazing time. It was great. And I got to work on Double Dare doing art for them. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you remember that. You guys are too young for that. Oh, not so much, man. I know I look young, (laughs) but... And Jim Bob does have a few years on me. When I first moved to L.A. in 1990, I am so politically incorrect when it comes to my humor because you have to be. You can be clean humor. You can be dirty humor. But the the fact that everyone's getting so censored these days Mm -hmm. is pretty insane to me, especially... And that's why they're going, you can't make Blazing Saddles anymore. You can't make anything that Mel Brooks or uh, Richard Pryor would make, um, unless it's from the Black perspective. And I'm like, screw it. Maybe it's because I'm older also, but I've never been that way my whole life. I've always been, if you have to censor yourself, then you're not true to yourself and your creativity is going to stifle. That's right. If you look up some of my projects, they're horror-based, like my syndicated radio show or Professor Creepy Scream Party, which was on Amazon. So I love that world, but uh, all the remakes of horror movies have been so bad. I'm a fan of the let's be real side of things. I could tell. You would have been a great hippie back in the 60s. I did feel like I was born in the wrong time. I was born well, in 68, you're, you're just at the now. end. What? Oh, you were born in 68? Uh-huh. Oh, my God. As I said, you look like you could be in college. I know. Thank you. That's why I had to <laughs> make it a deal, because no, I'm double digit, 5'5". Five, five. In fact, I can now camp in 555-plus places and get a discount. That's Ooh. true. You, you can be AARP. I'm a member of all of them. Are you? Oh my God, AARP, triple A, double X, whatever <laughs> letters that are out there. <laughs> but it depends on the time of day you go to the movies. If you go during the day, you only get 50 cents off. But if you go during prime time, you get $5 off. <laughs> go to the movies at night now. Yeah, you save okay. so much more. <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. Wow, yeah. that means you have to stay up late though. I just uh, woke up before this podcast, by the way. Oh, you did? Oh, your no, bedhead looks fabulous. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing what Roundup and talcum powder will do. To your face. <laughs> oh my gosh, what a great combination! You're so lucky you found that. Wow. It's double cancer causing. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Dave, tell us about National Lampoon, please. Chevy Chase and working with all of all of the names. And then go on from there, because your career is so extensive. We want to hear. Okay. Oh, I would love to tell you about that, especially because I was, as I said, it was one of my wish lists and bucket list jobs. I got to work with Jamie Kennedy. He was actually there. He was a struggling comic slash writer, and he started at Lampoon. He was doing stand-up, and he was trying to make it as an actor. So we got to work together, and we've been friends ever since then. And I actually wrote a film for him and for another friend of mine, Scotty Schwartz, who was a kid who got his tongue stuck to the pole in A Christmas Story. (laughs) Yep. I I wrote a film called Schwartzy, which is about an ex-child star who is a deadbeat, and he's watching TV, and he's um, feeding beer to his cat. And on, on it, they go, I wonder what happened to Schwartzy. And 
then he then he gets a tell then he gets a letter that he inherited this huge estate from this guy who was a fan of his when he was a kid and he goes and he gets the estate and jamie plays his best friend a former burnout rock star and i've worked with a good friend of mine robin zander who's lead singer cheap trick and yep. and they've been friends of mine for a long time so i put them in the movie and they and and jamie go to look for scott who gets kidnapped by the old fans family <laughs> and they got to go rescue him so cheap trick is actually part of the movie they're not just performing at the party and oh. robin the scripts i'm working on funding now for it but i worked with chevy not on the movies but on a cartoon book that oh. i did Wow. Um, he's insane. What can I say? It's like he's heavy. Yeah. He, he went off the deep for a while, but I think he's tooled back. Uh, Dana Barron, who played Audrey in Vacation, is one of my best friends. Oh, and yay. we met through Lampoon. She's so sweet, too. One of the nicest people you'll see. And she lives in LA. And let's see, who from that era also did I work? Oh, from Animal House. I got to work and become best friends with Stephen First. He was uh -huh. Flounder. Yep. And he was also in Babylon 5 and St. Elsewhere and that yep. Michael Keaton movie where all he took all the mental patients and took them out for a day. Yep. Christopher Lloyd, I think, was one of them. Yep. And uh, so I did a lot of voiceovers for Stephen. I directed him in a sitcom that I wrote, created, and produced, and directed called Against Type which we almost got picked up by NBC, aired on their pilot market stations oh. all over the country. And it also had an early Jeanette McCurdy in it, who people might know from iCarly yep. and Sam Cat with Ariana Grungy, as I call her. <laughs> and I knew Jeanette, this was before iCarly, and I knew she was going to blow up into a star because she just had that personality and she was so sweet. And I knew about her family problems because I got close to the family and I knew her mom was a control freak and mm -hmm. into drinking things like that and and but I was always trying to be there to do stuff with Jeanette one of the things I was really proud of is back in the 90s I also wrote the theme song for Special Olympics and I, I just posted it, the song we did we got it recorded by a guy from the Bold and Beautiful and it was airing and I just put it up on SoundCloud after all these years. So people, it's called The Special Everywhere. Wow. And I also put a little video of it together with kids from Special Olympics on YouTube. So that was another one that I brought Jeanette into because we'd always do the celebrity games and she was great with that. So I worked with her. And, but with Steven, we just became really good friends. I also did some cartoon stuff with him. And I did the logo for his company, Curmudgeon Films. Oh, nice. Um, so he was another guy that I loved working with. And his kids are really, his son, Griff, is a writer, director, actor. And then his other son, trying to remember his name, he's a, an amazing composer. So wow. he went off and did that, yeah, nice. for movies and things. And, and the other thing I had to add to all the other stuff I was doing is I always loved music. So I started as a saxophonist. That got too heavy for a little kid to carry around the football field. <laughs> and then I switched to clarinet. And then I discovered heavy metal. Mm -hmm. And I switched to the guitar and I never looked back. Oh. Nice. 
So I've, I record, I've recorded with people. I have some songs out on a soundtrack. I wrote a song for a new uh, Western that is being shot right now. Nice. And, and a bunch of other music and things. So I hope that all of this, that we get links for all this for the show notes so that pe- we can share all of what you're talking about. I have a website because I'm geeky. Okay. People go, I'm like the geek squad. I'm like the geek squad of the Ohio Valley because the people here do not know how we have a very older population. They do not know how to even line their phones, much less their computers. <laughs> they think a computer is a guy that walks down the street computing things. Yeah, come on, we just I got landlines in 2013. What are you? Yeah, come on. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So yes, I do have a website, and I. Don't know if you have the link. It was snuggybear.com. I have it rerouted right now because I'm going through a revision on it. And hopefully I'll have it back to snuggybear.com at the beginning of the year. But for now, there is another website that has the same one. Okay. Um, so Dave, in the midst of all this amazing, just so inspirational talking we're doing, how did humor feed this and feed the goodness in you even the horror stuff there's humor and horror oh absolutely i guess it's because growing up in new jersey you didn't have much choice either you were a soprano or you were like dead there was only two choices in new jersey so uh <laughs> so were you um, in joysy like tough joysy <laughs> You were in Joysy? Oh, yeah. I grew up in, in Northern Jersey. Okay. And I've lost it. People always used to say, because I played sports as well. My my family life did suck. Okay, I got to admit that. And, but I looked at it as a way of getting away from it. Oh, I, I love my father was a teacher. I used that in my stand-up. He was a teacher, and he used to come home, and he hated that because he was very abusive to my mom and he hated that I stood up to my for myself and stood up for my mom like one day this is a show the kind of humor I had one day he came home and he was really mad at something and he had a gym bag because he was also the basketball coach for the middle school and I'm so glad I didn't have him a teacher but I wish I did because that would have been great would have been so much material Oh, it would have been so fast times or Ridgemont High. I'd order a pizza and I would have brought it into the classroom. <laughs> so, so now I had another teacher named Lipschitz or whatever her name was. Of course. And one day he came home and he had a gym bag and it was full of chain, like loose change. He got mad at something he threw and I said, there you go, throwing money around again. <laughs> <laughs> Reverse dad jokes. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it was just continual. And I loved it because it developed my humor that way. But I always looked at humor not only as an escape, but for just something I really think was built inside me mm. when I was born. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Milton Berle was in the womb with me back then. I'm not really sure. But, <laughs> that would be Don, interesting. It, for me, it would have, I would have loved to have been born with Rodney Dangerfield. Imagine if I was Rodney's twin what that would look like. That'd be like even better than Schwarzenegger and DeVito. Yeah, (laughs) or Andrew Dice Clay. (laughs) You and Andrew Dice Clay are twins? Or Andrew Dice Clay. I actually had dinner with Andrew Dice Clay. Uh, Back in the 80s in New York, I was writing a book 
working on a book with a writer named Betsy Bourne, who wound up producing the Sabrina Witch show, mm. the one in the 90s, the good one. The good one, yeah. Yes. Not like this, this wannabe kind of CW crap. And <laughs> so part of the book was to go and hang with Andrew in New Jersey. So we went to dinner, and this was when he was at the height of his career. Yeah. So we went to dinner in Poe or Mawa, I'm trying to remember what it was, and he had his first wife with him. Oh my God, the way he treated the waitresses was so typically him. It would be, so, I don't know exactly the line, but he'd be like, you call this food? That's, that was like what he was. Besides that, he was actually really nice. Uh, yeah, with things like that. I think my humor developed just because of it, but I find humor in everything. And as I said, being politically incorrect, maybe it's because also that era everything was so open, free love. It wasn't free to me. I had to pay for it. Oh, you know, oh. oh what a disaster. Oh, yeah. The, the other kids, they were getting it free. I would have to bring like a, a yogurt pie or something in order to get anything. Oh. In order for, for me to get pie, I had to bring a pie. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was hard. But I was also an athlete and the kids in school, like the athletes couldn't beat me up because I was one of them, but I was also a nerd. So the nerds looked at me as their leader. And nice. I always stood up for all the other kids anyway, against the teachers. It was like rock and roll high school. So you were an athlete and I understand now you're an avid golfer. Avid. It's more like, and it's not an avid. It's more like a final cut pro golfer. Okay. I, I love um, it. Nice. Uh, <laughs> no, I used to play. I used to play all the time. I played football. I even played professional football in one game wow. for a reality show in LA, down in Long Beach, years ago, called the that, Gender Bowl. The now, Gender now Bowl. It, now, yeah. See, now it would be more appropriate than it was back then. Wow. You could probably find it online. It was ridiculous. The guy who did the show Blind Date produced it and. It's hilarious. It was like a battle of the sexes disaster. Wow. But but it was fun. So we played at the LA Coliseum. We got paid. It was really cool. I also played basketball. I was the announcer for all our games. Oh. Uh, then I played on the golf team. I did bowling. So I played everything. And, and they were cool with me that way, especially because I announced the game. But then, yeah, the nerds were on the other side. And it was cool being in between both of them. Do you have a relationship with Caddyshack? Yeah, I love the movie. Okay. <laughs> no, um, Me too. I do too. Well, Caddyshack, I know some of the people in it that I'm personal friends with. It was produced by Doug Kinney okay. and Harold Ramis, who were part of that. And Matty Simmons produced it. And he was one of the original producers of The Lampoon. Like he produced Animal House, helped get it made. Yeah. Actually, one of my music writing partners was Albert Haig, who wrote How the Grinch Stole Christmas, mm. uh, the songs. And he was also in Fame. He was Professor Shrosky in Fame. And he yep. was the psychiatrist in Space Jam. He actually wrote the music for David Cassidy from the Partridge Family's first musical, Big oh, Lisa wow. Falling. But the, the show wasn't very good. It died, but it was more of like a financial thing. So I called it Fig Leaves Fell. It was not like <laughs> fell. Uh, so there was my connection that way as well. And the guy that played Noonan, 
in Caddyshack. He's a friend of mine, and hopefully I'm going to be working with him on a project, too. Awesome. Fun. Yeah, I, I love the movie because I only tried pot once my whole life when I was at the University of Florida, and it was all because of that scene with Donald Sutherland in Animal House. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like that corrupted so many youth. Yeah. And he goes, and, and Tom Hulse goes, you mean our fingernail is like a planet and a tiny universe? Yeah. <laughs> I buy some pot for me. <laughs> and then he goes, try not to drool so much. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, so that's why one of my favorite scenes in Caddyshack is you know, when Ty goes into his shack and tells him about growing this hybrid grass, yeah. like it's bluegrass sense of meal. Like the great thing is you can go play golf on it during the day and get blank faced and uh-huh. right on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's my other connection with Caddyshack. Got it. All right. So do you have a theory or philosophy of humor? Yes. And I got to admit, when I first started doing stand-up, I sucked. Now, it it was something like anything you have to learn. You could be as verbose and great as you want, but it's also a learning technique as well, just like acting, anything, writing, refining your art. When I first started, I was bad. Like a lot of famous comics, they start out sucking and their shows suck and people go, he's a comedian, (laughs) that kind of thing. But I developed the shows as I went along and I started studying things. And that's why Rodney is such a big influence on me. And some of the early, like the comics of today are pretty bad. All it is just racist jokes. They talk about, they use profanity back and forth. There's nothing really funny. And then everything is also left-winging. So you're isolating half your freaking audience. So they, they don't talk about maybe where they're from unless they're ghetto and then there's like a lot of ghetto comics and they just talk about yo i kept that mo and i I go yeah oh that's really funny but what's funny man is i survived it they didn't like like you hear about that one wannabe that's why saturday night live has sucked so many years the the kind of humor that they're getting one of the things i want to do as a delegate if i get elected is to do something about the opioid crisis here the fentanyl crisis but yeah my humor comes from my personal experiences and 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 i developed it over the years and i started getting more and more reaction in a good way although now i think i'm gonna have to learn spanish if i'm gonna be doing comedy in la i can teach you hate to tell you, I can teach you Spanish. I speak we'll Spanish. Have to that. I, you know what? My mistake was taking French in high school. I took I French, too. We were... I speak French, too. Oh, c'est bon. Oh, oui, c'est vous bon. Très... C'est très bien. Yeah. Um, vous êtes très jolie, oh, je, you know. Oui, and that. As, but I have to say, mais, I took... Français, français is stupid because <laughs> it doesn't... I thought the French were going to invade the United States, and it didn't. That was a big disappointment. <laughs> oh, yeah, because that'd be more fun. I figured if we were going to have, yeah, we were going to have a second national language, it would have been French. Who knew, right? Yeah. My first stand-up class that I took was in the suburbs of Detroit, and it was all language-based. And my twin brother came nice. to watch my debut, and he said, you're over everybody's head, because it was all making jokes 
for the people that speak the language in their language, but there wasn't anyone. Were you the in... only white person there? No. In fact, it was not very diverse of an audience. That was part of well, the problem. Well, see, that's it. I did one show in L.A., and there were Muslim comics there. It was great. The audience loved it, but the ones that came with the other comics hated it because they thought I was being racist. That's the oh. other thing. Everything is racist oh. because there were some lesbian comics there and they were really butch looking, I got to say. And then some Muslim comics, and all they talked about is killing Whitey. And then there was a black comic who I was friends with. I'm backstage getting ready to go on. I go, oh my God, there's like this audience. They're going to hate my routine because I also talk about being half Jewish and growing up that way. So wow. I was like, and he just be yourself and play to the audience. So that's what I did. So to the Muslim people, I said, oh, it's great to be here. I, I just got to tell you, I just got back from a bar mitzvah when Muslims hate that because it's a Jewish thing. <laughs> and I said, I brought yarmulkes for everybody. Mazel tov. <laughs> the black guy was in hysterics. Other people were, the white people were laughing, but the Muslims like, and I go, oh, if you want to see me, mine is the little hybrid car that's out in the parking lot <laughs> that says yeshiva on the license plate. <laughs> but uh, you just do your own material and you'll get an audience, but also play to the audience. That's what I learned is that if you see a certain type of audience, just alter it a little, but don't alter it too much where you lose yourself because then I, I took improv classes I don't know if you mm -hmm. did oh yeah that Since really helped yeah yeah because then you can adapt to things and oh I loved it I joined a, a troupe back in LA a few years back which was an improv group but we would put on shows and it was really great so that really helped too but I think the way my mind works sometimes I get ahead of myself and I think I have some ADHD, so I have to, and dyslexia, so I have to draw it back in. Like I'm doing, I was just hired to do a wedding, to do stand up at a wedding. Uh, Fun. That's be yeah, up in Morgantown. So, oh, nice. Uh, so I'll see how that goes. But that's going to be all about weddings and growing up and my family i have a very weird family that i can draw from so that's gonna right. be fine so you are stand-up writer cartoonist musician and author author and voice actor and voice actor uh, and don't forget director and director <laughs> oh and director but those are my own things. I really have, I think I only directed something for someone else once, but I just like directing my own things, but I'm not doing the director gig now because I'm focusing more on the writing and the music. I like short form. Like someone asked, why don't you write a novel? And I said, I have enough trouble reading them, much less am I gonna write one? Right. You know, I like short, I like comic books. Mm -hmm. I write comic books. I love doing that. I like children's books because they're short. And I, I, everyone's mind works differently. Maybe it's my attention span. I don't know. But I could write a 200-page script, though, because I love movies and TV so much. Mm -hmm. That is natural for me. But if I have to sit down and structure a novel, my agent told me I should write my life story because someone said, oh, your life is so interesting. You should either have a reality show or write your memoir. 
I could not sit down and do it. And she said, write it as a script. Mm. And I guess I could do that, but I don't like writing about myself. I'd rather create something about other people and incorporate maybe me into it. But uh, I'll let someone else, if they're interesting, dissect my life later and see what happens. My inspiration for writing is Edgar Allan Poe. And I believe my life is paralleling his too. It's like he's underappreciated, but everyone loves his stuff. But then he didn't sell anything until later. And then he died. And then he became legendary after he died. So I'm going like, we went, I went, took a trip recently to Washington to meet with some, our senator and our House of Representatives because I'm running also because of what's going on out here. And we stopped off in Baltimore on the way back to see Edgar Allan Poe's grave. And it, it was amazing. It was a little cemetery around the church. Uh-huh. So, of course, what happens? Some black guy comes at the gate and says, you better not open that gate, man. That is our gate. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, that is our gate, man. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I just came to visit Edgar. <laughs> I didn't know that was your home. Oh, yes. yeah. Oh, <laughs> Oh. So, but it, it was amazing and yeah. we took pictures and we could definitely sense Edgar there mm-hmm. and I gave him a kiss on the tombstone and yeah so that was really like a very inspirational thing for me and I want to I want to notice your passion for doing good in West Virginia with all that's been going on there I want to acknowledge that's quite an activist move and an attempt at making a difference. And I want to thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I've, I've always been that. That's why my children's book, Bag Boy and Sweet Slop, is built around helping people. And I've always, as politically incorrect as I am and not given a, a crap of what people think and whether it, it gets me burnt bridges or gets me success, whatever, I always have to stay true to myself. And I've always been a crusader. I've always felt that I hate bullies. I was bullied Mm -hmm. for a little when I was a kid. And I I just hate what they do to kids. And not only just kids to kids, but adults to kids. That drives me insane when I see a child abused or an animal abused. And so I've always stuck up whether it's put me in sacrificial positions or not. And I remember one time I almost got flunked out of art class because in New Jersey, um, our art teacher kept throwing the kids' coats on the floor. And some of them had nice coats into where the clay scatter was. And uh, we were doing pottery or, or sculpting and the clay pieces would get on the floor. I would pick them up and she would like, you leave those coats right there on the floor. And I'm going like, no, they're going to get dirty in some nice coat. Go to the principal. And I said, you're lucky I'm only a kid. <laughs> <laughs> so that was stuff like that. And then if I would see bullies, I would stand up to them. And But luckily, I was able to talk a lot of people out of stuff. I only got into one or two fights my whole childhood, like physical fights. One of them broke my nose, but oh. which was... But it helps with my Italian accent. <laughs> but it also helps with my Jewish accent. Right. <laughs> so uh, do you think humor can help not only the receiver of the bullying, but also 
the situation of the bullying itself do you think humor could help with that not when the bully doesn't have a sense of humor true and doesn't understand it like you i've said things to people who are being mean to other people and saying something they just take it as an attack but people like that don't have a sense of humor to begin with so i don't think it matters what you tell them they're gonna be that way no matter what What about the healing power of humor for the person being bullied? The victim? Yes. But then I also, one of the worst things I found out is if someone's being bullied or going through a hard time, don't tell them, oh, everything's going to be okay. Because they're like, yeah. But then I think you break through their walls after a while. But you also have to see if that's what they want. There are people that may not want that. Maybe they like living in victimhood or they like living Mm -hmm. in in pity. And I try not to push it Mm -hmm. on them. It's like asking someone to go on a diet and you go, oh my God, there's diet things out there and there's healthy salads you can eat. And they're like stuffing their face with donuts and goes, what do you, their reaction is, what are you saying? I'm fat. And I go, no, the scale is saying that. Your diabetes is saying that. Mm. Your freaking doctor is saying that. The fact that you have to have two seats on an airplane kind of gives you an idea that maybe you need to lose some weight. The fact that you can't even find clothes at Walmart. And you can find clothes at Walmart for anybody, but if you can't even find it for that, I think you should determine you might want to lose weight. Yep, yep. That may be just plain truth. Oh, so I, I think it's a shame. I just try to find humor. I just try to find humor in everything. Yes. Now, this is good. podcast, of course, is going to be uh, audio. So I can't, you know, which is a shame. I'm looking in the background. Is that the Sam Gross Frog Legs cartoon that you have in her frame? Yes. One of the great things at Lampoon, amongst a million other things, is that I got to go through their archives closet and when lampoon was dissolving in the late 90s sadly and that's another timeline of history of i can tell you the start of lampoon and how it ended and when it got to new owners and blah 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 but so i got to go through the archives and that poster was one that i got to pull out and it was a very limited edition there were only a few in there i got one of the original prints of the National Lampoon Yearbook. Those were only, I got those. I got lobby cards from Animal House and from their spinoff, Delta wow. House. Yeah. yeah, so all those cool things that I got to get when they were ending everything. Plus all the stuff that I worked on. When I was there, not only did a comedy, I was wrote for the magazine. I was the senior cartoon editor. I did all the a lot of the cartoons for them. I put out books, calendars, clothing, greeting cards everything i wrote designed drew and did all of it wow so much talent oh please go on (laughs) (laughs) no it's like no please so i just like doing it i i don't like bragging about it but it's so funny because some people think you're bragging because you're talking about what your life was and i'm going oh because it just happens to me in that one field what about a doctor that says he just saved 18 lives I think that's way more important. I love what I do, and I love that it makes a difference with people. But you know, it's just so many people think of it as bragging. And to me, I don't go online and just go, oh, look at me. I'm doing this. 
like all these people now with this there's this one guy who i won't name but he's like this wannabe director he's done something and he's going on social media going everyone put on and brag about what they worked on and i'm going like that's just so self-centering one thing i hate is when people put that it's their birthday on there look at me it's my birthday celebrate my birthday mm. And I think it's one of the most ridiculous, egotistical things uh, to just say, make me feel good. It's my birthday. Tell me how much I'm talented. Tell me how much you uh -huh. love me. I'm friends with a guy named Eddie Deason. I don't know if you remember him. I know. Uh -huh. Hi, this is Eddie Deason. I was in Greece in 1941, and I was the band kid in Polar Express. Uh, <laughs> he, he went off the rails, and he's kind of crazy as it is but he's always posting things and maybe it's because he has personal problems but he i think it, it, these people just go way overboard on things i think social like, media like is is built to make that happen yes i think social media as good as it is because look at what we met and now we're doing this and you're right. going to be posting it mm -hmm. but i think 90 percent like my, my character, Bitchy, got kicked off of X. He got kicked off of it. Twitter when it was Twitter. He got kicked off of um, Instagram. He got kicked off of Facebook. He got kicked off all these platforms because he spoke his mind and not in people's faces. But he's the one that called out all these people who are like being self-serving and self-centered and things like that. Then um, I think that's, you have bragging rights for getting yeah. kicked off of all the social media. Oh, platforms. I brag about that. I brag that bitch, he got kicked off all that. But he is on Cameo <laughs> and he's on Cameo because he needs the money. He lives in a friggin' trash can in Kearney, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. With some of the money, he, he refurbished his trash can. He got a new trash bag and he's so happy about that. Oh, that's so, good to know. I'm so glad. Yeah. And he's hoping to make some money off of his cologne trash. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll get that into stores, but and I just wanted to bring back, I do want to brag about the book yes. just only because not because we did it, but because it's about such a subject that I think the world needs to do more about. You know, you have Greta, well, I I have a nickname for her. It's like uh, Greta Sumberg because sometimes she should just think about what she's doing, and she just spouts whatever the media happens to put out there. But I do like that she is environmental and she wants to help the environment. But it's called Bag Boy and Sweet Slob because my ex and I, she was a slob and a border hoarder. And I was so into recycling and saving the environment. And we used to go to all these events and get bags, like swag bags. And you go to Comic-Cons. What do they give you? A bag when you first get yeah. in there. And I'm always good at repurposing. So yeah. I said, we're going we're gonna to use the bags and I'm going to use it for stuff, whether it's to travel or to put recycling in. She just sat one day. I said, this place is a freaking mess. And she goes, well, you collect bags. And I said, so what? He said, those bags are going to put your stuff in there. He goes, don't you touch my stuff. He says, why don't you just write about it? And so that's how it came about. I sat down and I started writing. So the main character uses bags to help people. If someone rips a bag or their backpack breaks, he's there right away like a superhero with a bag. Beautiful. And everyone's so grateful for it. And then he meets this kid, sweet slob in school. 
and her backpack breaks and he's there ready with a bag and they become friends and they decide to open up a business together where he supplies the bags and she goes out and gets business for him. Awesome. And it, 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 one of the great things about it is that a kid in Ohio who's autistic read the book and because of it, he went out and started his own recycling business. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. Th that's the best part of it because I'm not making a fortune off the book right now. Yeah. So the fact that it could affect someone, we have the second one done. My agent has it now. And I've got a couple other children's books that are coming out to, as well as the other projects that I'm working on. Awesome. When do you expect to see those? We're working with a bigger publisher right now, hopefully. So my agent's handling all of it. I'm hoping the second bag boy comes out the first quarter of 2024. Same with oh, the other okay. books. I have another one called Horace Finds Out. It's about a little kid who wants to, he's not sure what he wants to do when he grows up. So he goes out and asks all these people, cops yeah. and things, if they it. like their jobs and, and why they do their jobs. And and then there's a cute ending. He comes across his character. I'm not going to tell you who the character is, but he's not human, but he's not E.T. either. Okay. And, and he thinks his job is the best. So there's that. And, and there's one about dealing with nightmares, like in a fun way, like a picture book version. So there's that. Then I've got the a couple of TV series that I'm working on coming out. And I want to get Bitchy the Clown. We originally created him as a talk show character for TV uh -huh. late night. He's like a low rent Howard Stern meets David Letterman. Awesome. And... But he's a yeah. He gets these weird mutants. There was a show in New York growing up called the Joe Franklin Show. Yeah. Oh, okay. He was out in New York. He was like the original talk show host. He started like on an access station and then he got national. And um, Billy Crystal made fun of him on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Hi, this is Joe Franklin. Right. My friends were sponsored by Strites Matza. Strites <laughs> for an 11 experience. Matza. And then, oh, and Hoffman Beverage. They were all like Jewish yes. because he was Jewish. It was so funny. He had all these mutant guests. He'd be the kind of show that would have Cato Kalin on it or yeah. Janice Dickinson or Andy Dick, all the low rent guests. Yeah. Bitchy would have them on, but he'd also have like circus freaks, like a bearded lady come on. And is, is, is Bitchy open to collaboration? Right now, Bitchy is just looking for financing to get his show off the ground okay. but yes he would, he would be fine with that it's not an expensive show to do because kevin dobson who was also one of my best friends he was from knots landing and kojak mm -hmm. and i actually wrote a play that he directed and we won an award with it which was really nice so he loved bitchy he was going to direct it before he died <laughs> so we were going to shoot it at his old theater in la but then that didn't happen. So I want to shoot it here in West Virginia. And yeah. shoot, we could shoot it in a warehouse or a living room. Like, it's so bad. Like, his set, in fact, when, you know how Tonight Show, you are you come out of the curtain? Yeah. yeah. For, for him, Bitchy comes out of the bathroom. Like, oh, you hear yes. the toilet flush when he's introduced. Okay. So it's so him. I love it. Oh, my gosh. And, and his voice is, I am Bitchy. Oh my gosh. Th this I mean, is how he sounds. Hi, I'm Bitchy the Clown. Welcome to the Bitchy the Clown show. 
we got another horrible show for you today. Typical of me, right? Do we even have any guests tonight? I don't know. But I want to, and he has two sidekicks. One is called Crap Face, which is a little clown doll I found at a thrift store, and Jack Off, which is a clown jack in the box I also found somewhere. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, dear. I would love to collaborate if we could just get a, a little bit of sponsorship. Yeah. I, I would love to have, I would love. If you know anybody that's a company or a product that would like the product place on it, they could be our official sponsor. I keep thinking about that. Are they, are they amazing. okay? It's very explicit and it's very non-G rated. Would they be cool with that? The people I'm thinking of? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because for him, it would be like, I'd like to welcome our sponsor for, for a clearing experience. Yes. You know, like he'd be, that would be like yes. Yes. <laughs> but it's so funny. And everyone, like people can go to Spotify or Apple or some of these other platforms for, it's called Bitching with Bitchy the Clown. Okay. And he, he in fact, Bitchy's a musician too. He wrote some songs and we got it on a soundtrack from a, a horrible movie called Slice that my friend John in LA who's, I've been friends with him a long time. He somehow got involved with this low rent, another loser producer, director guy in LA. And, but it went perfect for Bitchy. So he got two of his original songs and you can, on Bitchy's podcast, if you scroll down to the episodes, you can hear some of the songs. Oh my God, I'm so excited. And I'm, my brain, I'm, it's my hamster wheel today, Jim Bob. But, uh, and the hamster could be involved. <laughs> like this, in like, sweet, 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 sweet. <laughs> so Jim Bob has a question he asks all of our guests. So he's going to ask that, and then I'd ask you for another hour anytime, Dave. You're amazing. Oh, it's I'm so honored and thankful that you came to my table and asked me to be on your show. I thought you were uh -huh. cute at first. I said, oh, she's cute. And then <laughs> you started talking and added to it. <laughs> nice. Awesome sauce. So Jim Bob. All right. So, yeah. So Dave, here's a question we would like to get because and the thought is this, what do you want people to remember about your work on Thursday? It's just you know, people just going through an average other day Thursday, okay? And if they want to look for inspiration from something you've done, said, or written, what would you like them to think of you? What would you, what would you like them to think about on any given Thursday? That is a great question because people ask me that. And as I said, my life's had so many ups and downs, failures, successes, I didn't mention that I, as a result of working at Lampoon, I got to write and do cartooning for Everybody Loves Raymond, the TV yeah, show on right. season four. Yeah. And I got some of my characters on there as well. And unfortunately, I would have loved to have been able to work more on that show, but it was more just like a one season thing. I tell people, one, I would like them to remember me for contributing something good to the world and leave a legacy that will make people smile, make people think, make people have fun, escape from reality. I would like them to think of me that way, in a good way. And I also tell people, if they see my story, if it ever, my personal story, if it ever gets made, that to just keep going. I talk at a lot of schools and kids, and I've taught screenwriting and storyboarding and I've spoken at schools in LA with people with disabilities and things. And I say, you know what? 
never give up because it, people are going to tell you you're untalented. People are going to say that'll never sell. People are going to say you should not even try. And sadly, a lot of people listen to that. And through everything I've been through, I just keep going and I keep people never, ever friggin' listen to anybody else because then when they come back, I've had so many people come back who not financed my projects or told me it's not what they want. It's not like as good as that. And then I look at what they've done and it fails. And then they come back to me with their tails between their legs or their wallet and go, oh, Dave, we wish we could have backed your things because they were so good. <laughs> and I say, you know what? Do you have any money left? He goes, no. And I said, I told you. There's a reason that expression came out. I told you. Don't say I told you so. That's so rude. But it's true. I said, I can't feel sorry for you because you did that and it failed and it didn't work out. So. I tell people, just don't listen to that because everything's subjective. And I, I don't care if someone, I look at Taylor Swift. I'm not into her, but I could say a dirty joke there, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but a lot of people are and good for her, for them because she's subjective as well. There's a lot of people that don't like metal or don't like punk and don't like, you know, there's people that don't like my stuff because it's politically incorrect, but I will still hell or high water do what I do the way I want it. And if I have to suffer for it, that's where that Edgar Allan Poe thing comes in. Um, I call myself Dave Allan Poe sometimes, but oh. look what happened, look what happened when, he, when he was one. He's legendary. He's inspired so many people, Tim Burton and Roger Corman and major people. So I just stay true to myself and that's what I tell people. And I hope through everything, if I do leave a nice legacy, then, then I, I would have lived a life that's great. And I said, I never give up. Look, I have all the new projects. I have a syndicated radio show called Cemetery Go, which I produced here in West Virginia when I first got here. And it was after doing an article on a guy who runs a ra local radio station. And he said, you should do your own show because I've been on NBC radio. I've been on other stations. And I said, I've always wanted to do a horror show like Dr. Demento, but set in a graveyard because my girlfriend and I were really in the graveyard. That was our first date was at a cemetery. Awesome. So I, I, I created this cemetery go-go and it's about a guy who does a show uh, from the cemetery and he plays old music and new music, rock and roll, metal. Um, he plays old commercials. He makes up letters from horror stars. Like he has um, the creature from the Black Lagoon writing in to him about things, asking for his advice. And Chucky, <laughs> things like that. And then he plays old commercials and he plays old trailers from movies. And so th that was inspired by that. And I did that on my own. I produce, I went around and I'm the one that submitted to stations all over the country and it started getting picked up. We're in New York, we're in Maryland, we're in Ohio, we're here in West Virginia. Wow. Um, so I did it on my own when no one else would do it. Same with the books. I went out and got my original publishers for Brain Explosion, for my Lampoon book, for that. Cause I submitted, I didn't, my agents did crap for me in LA. I had literary agents, I had, licensing agents and 
other managers didn't do anything for me. I had to do everything myself. So everyone out there listening, do not listen and don't listen to your parents. Don't listen to your friends. If they're supportive of you, great. But if they're saying something like, to get you in something you don't want to do. Maybe don't be a don't be a murderer. If someone says don't go out and There's... be a murderer, I, I can see that taking their advice there. <laughs> yeah, if, if they're a cult leader, maybe uh, hard pass. But yeah. <laughs> you got to draw the line somewhere. But when it comes to anything else, listen to your own heart and go out and do it. Thank you so thank much, you. David. That was amazing, amazing, amazing. Dave, thank you. You're welcome. Brilliant. Oh man. Great. And uh, thanks again. All right. Really. You're welcome. Such it was a pleasure. A pleasure. To meet and, you. It was, and it was so nice meeting you down there. Thank you for coming by the table. Oh, yeah. Thank, right. Thanks. Wow. And Jim Bob brought me there. So what can I say? It's his fault. Oh. <laughs> it was fate. It was fate. Well, well, thank you, Jim Bob. Thank you, Jim Bob. Yep. You're welcome. See, I didn't even make fun of your name. Oh, you guys will have to discuss that. That's a fun story, too. But yeah, that, 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 that's a two beer story. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, you guys. You guys, bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you for joining us for episode 116. Jim Bob Williams, Katie B, and Dave Shelton. Yay! Thank you very much. Laugh Box is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. This has been Laugh Box, brought to you by the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Thank you so much for hanging out with us, and we'll see you next time.